about three years ago, decided to, to change some things up in my life. Decided to stop wearing dress shoes to work and instead add to my professional wardrobe Adidas Sambas indoor soccer shoes. It was 70% comfort, 30% style decision. But in hindsight, I now realize today it was 100% Holy Spirit because I don't know if you've ever tried to preach on AstroTurf in dress shoes, but I would be at very high risk of a ruptured Achilles or a tweaked hammy. So the good news is we're gonna stay safe today. I got some good grips and uh, we're gonna get into this word that has two subjects that I really love, Jesus and food. It's a very familiar text to us, Jesus feeding thousands of people and doing a miracle. And, and the thing that stands out to me as I've been thinking about this very familiar text is it's interesting that Jesus at, at this point in time is able to do two things that are very difficult for us to do at once. One thing that Jesus is able to do is he's able to do this amazingly powerful miracle and to show authority over something in a way that nobody had really done before while at the same time being incredibly accessible to people. When you think about folks who can do great things, who are very popular, it tends to be a situation where they're very closed off from folks around them because their job is so big, or perhaps there are just too many people and it's difficult for them to see folks as individuals. It's difficult for them to be empathetic. It's difficult for them to be caring for all of the people who want to be around them. And one of the things that I love about this story is it's Jesus being amazing, but it's Jesus being accessible and compassionate and showing deep, tender care for people who needed that at this point in time. In Mark chapter six, we have a continuation of a story that we started on Sunday. Verse 30 says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus had gathered the disciples together and he paired them off two by two. And he said, I want you to go out into all of the surrounding villages and I am going to give you the power to cast out unclean spirits. There's this commissioning and there's this bestowal of power that Jesus gives to the, the disciples. They've been hanging out with Jesus. They've been seeing him do miracles. And now Jesus is saying, go and, and do what I do. Go cast out these unclean spirits. And Mark tells us that not only did the disciples do that, which would have been an exhilarating, but kind of a hard and scary thing to do. They also went out to all of these villages and it seems like they had learned a thing or two as they were sitting at the feet of Jesus because they cast out these unclean spirits and they also went and they were preaching a gospel of repentance. They went out and they did all of these things and they were working in these villages and now they've come back. And as they've come back, you can imagine that they are so excited to share with each other the stories that they have, the accounts that they have, because, because they have brushed up against power. They have done something that they have not done before. And so it's time to rest and it's time to debrief and it's time to talk about their experiences. 
This happens when, when, when we brush up against power, or when we have a, a unique story to tell, when we get around people who we know, we can't wait to share it with them. I was going out to see my family a little over a year ago, and as I was sitting on the airplane, I noticed that the dude next to me had a gigantic ring on his finger. And I figured, you know, if he's gonna wear that ring in public, he probably wants to talk about it. And so as we're sitting there on the airplane, I was like, so, where'd you get your ring? And it just so happened that this particular gentleman used to be the team doctor for the New York football giants. And this ring that he had, I guess it was a sports ring, just so happened that it was a Super Bowl ring. And he really did want to talk about it. And so he's telling me all of these stories. And eventually he says, he says here, you should put it on. I would never ask to put on somebody's Super Bowl ring because it just seems like, you know, for people who have actually earned it, who have done something, kind of a sacred thing, an important thing, but he really wanted me to try it on. So I took the ring and I put it on. I could practically like put it over two fingers and he's like, give me, give me your phone. Give me your phone. Let me take a picture. And so I, he, he's, he's like, hold it up to your face so people can actually see how big it is. So I took this really awkward, like glamour shots by Deb picture with, with this Super Bowl ring on the airplane. And in the minute that I got off the airplane, the first thing I started doing was texting all my cousins because all my cousins are from the greater New York, New Jersey metropolitan area. And some of them are Giants fans and some of them are fans of, of teams that are rivals from the Giants. And, and I had brushed up against this great and mighty multi-carat diamond power. And I was like, you guys, you'll never believe what happened on the airplane. I got to try on a Giants Super Bowl ring. And like when my dad picked me up at the airport, like even at the curb, I was like, wait dad, you gotta see what I got to wear on the airplane. Like I just really wanted to show him. I was so excited to tell him this story that I had where I got to to brush up against great power. Here are these disciples, and they're ready to get away from all the people so that they can share their stories with each other about the great power that they have experienced, this power of God. Except the problem was, it was tough for them to find space to be alone, to rest, and to debrief, and to give testimony. So they went away on this boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. There apparently were just a lot of people who were sort of uh, loitering around Jesus, waiting to see what would happen next. And Jesus, the things that he did at that point in time were not going unnoticed as he tried to steal away and to get some time with himself, going to the wilderness via water on the boat, the people could kind of see the trajectory of the boat. The people who were there had a good idea of where Jesus and the disciples were going. And they were so excited. They, they still wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. They were so thirsty, thirsty for his, his presence and his power, and to see what would happen next, that Mark here says that, that they just ran. They, they, they ran. They were so thirsty to be in the presence of Jesus that they ran. They figured out where he was going. They cut him off at the pass. They told everybody along the way, Jesus is here. He's going to this next town over, and they beat Jesus and the disciples 
to this desolate place, this removed place that they were going to to rest. And you could imagine that there would be some frustration when you finally get this moment of quiet, when you need that moment alone in a way, and, and you get somewhere and, and there are people there. I don't know, maybe you've had that situation where it's after a big show or, or a big game or a big test, and you're just ready to go back and, and take a nap in your room. And you get back and here everybody is and, and they're in the middle of a binge of the fourth seasons of Park at Parks and Rec and you want to sleep and they're laughing and giggling and guffawing in, in the next room over and you're like, no, 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 you don't understand. There's, there's nowhere to go. It's winter and we're in the middle of Kansas. I can't just like go for a walk and lay down in a wheat field. This is my space. I, I need my, my, my space. People just get out of here. That's the, the kind of frustration that I would imagine that Jesus and the disciples could have felt. And while the disciples kind of felt that, Jesus did not feel that. It says that what Jesus felt was that when he went ashore and he saw the great crowd, he was not frustrated, but he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they went and found out, they, had, they said, five and two fish. Here's Jesus and his response to these people who were so thirsty for him, so thirsty for, for his presence, was to have compassion on them. And the reason that he had compassion on them is because they were people who were without solid leadership. And while the people, I would imagine, were following Jesus uh, a little bit just because to see like what the circus was going to bring into town, what kind of tricks he could do, what kind of miracles he could do. There seems to be this essence where people also are, are thirsty for his teaching. They're thirsty for, for the wisdom that he has. And so here, before he does any miracles, what it says is that he, he sits down and he begins to teach them. At a time when he should have been resting and needed to rest and, and when the disciples needed to rest, he sat down and he taught them many things and that's a, an amazing testimony to the empathy and the compassion and the servant nature of Jesus. But you know, in addition to those things that we need from Jesus that can fill us up, people also have physical needs. So here these people are, and they've ran, they've exerted themselves, they've traveled, they've gotten to this place, and it's growing late, and it's going dark, and this is something that we can all resonate with. The people were hungry. The people were hungry. And so very accessible, very compassionate, very empathetic, very servant Jesus then decides to have a show of power. Somebody comes forth and, and shares what little food they have. And it seems difficult. These disciples who have done all these amazing things and who have done all these amazing miracles, it apparently does not cross their mind that Jesus has another miracle still in his back pocket. But he does. In verse 39, he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. 
he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and they were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So that means if there are 5,000 men there, there were women and there were children. And Jesus comes and takes this very small amount of food and is able to feed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. You know, there are a lot of, of miracles that have been done. And there are a lot of miracles that you can fake. When you're out in the wilderness, when you're on the deserted place, when you're on the desert, you can't really fake feeding thousands and thousands of people. There was a time in the Old Testament where Elisha was able to feed a hundred people by doing a miracle. Jesus has this habit where he takes Old Testament miracles, Hebrew Bible miracles, and he expounds on them to show that there's this new inbreaking of God's power that is even greater than the prophets who have come before him. And that's what he does here. And as he does that, you know, it's kind of interesting for us to think about, well, how does something like this apply to our lives? Like, should we be praying for God to miraculously provide things for people? I don't know. You know, when I look at this, there are some questions that I have just about, you know, where we are in life. And the first question I have is, are we thirsty for the presence of Jesus? Are we thirsting after the presence of Jesus? Because I see people who were around Jesus and they were both interested and expectant. You know, sometimes I think that in our cultural context, we sit around and we wait for Jesus to show up. But these people weren't doing that. They were in pursuit of Jesus. And they didn't have all the answers. They didn't know exactly what Jesus was going to do, but they knew that they needed to be around Jesus in case something happened. They knew that they needed to follow Jesus in case something happened. And there was a sense for them in which they were willing to go through great exertion to at least ask the question of what will Jesus do? What will he do? What is he capable of? And, and when Jesus finally, when they, they caught up to him and when they sat down and, and when it wasn't the, 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 the show of things that, that were flashy and big, they still sat down and, and they listened. They sat down and they listened. They kept listening and they kept listening and they kept listening. It wasn't them looking at their, their watches thinking, oh man, it's, it's about time for dinner. I got to peace out. Jesus is just going to blah, blah, blah. This sermon's going long. No, they were, they were still there and they were captivated. They were hanging on his word. They were thirsty to soak up whatever it was, be it wisdom or otherwise, that Jesus had for them. And where, like, where are we at in our lives, in our pursuit of the words and of the teachings of Jesus, of the wisdom of Jesus? Or do we kind of have this sense of entitlement where we're sedentary and we're like, you know what, if, if the presence of God passes by and if God does something amazing, then I might believe. But do we have that curiosity, that questioning, that sense of expectancy to want to be in the presence of our Lord? Secondly, so we ask the question, are we thirsty for Jesus? But then also, in which ways are we, are we hungering? In which ways are we hungering? In which ways are the people around us hungering? Because in that, I think when we see this picture of Jesus, who is compassionate and who is, is, is really with people in their struggles, we know that Jesus can be with us in our struggles. 
There's one thing that Jesus provides the people here, that immediate physical need to eat. But you know what? Jesus doesn't provide them a wholesale permanent changeover of of leadership in this moment. Jesus doesn't come to them and gather everybody else around and say, you know what? I'm expelling the Pharisees this very day. And I'm setting up a whole new power structure and a whole new religious structure for you this day. And here is going to be a thing that can fulfill all of your leadership needs. No. I mean, he gives them teaching and he gives them wisdom, but, but they still have to be patient. They still have to wade into this tension, into this time. And, and many of these people never see the church established as we know it today. And even those of us who have seen the New Testament church established as we know it today, we know that even now there are times where, where the leadership disappoints us. There are times where we feel like we can be sheep without a shepherd. We know that that, that human leaders aren't infallible. And so there's one need that, yes, Jesus fulfills. There's this other need that Jesus is kind of working on, and some things need to fall into place. But, But regardless of how the need is fulfilled within people at that time, Jesus is there and present with the people. So can we gain solace from the fact in the ways in which we are physically hungry and our physical needs and our emotional needs, that Jesus is there with us, that that Jesus desires for our health, that Jesus desires for our wholeness and our completeness. And there will be times where God will break through and and solve those issues, sometimes in miraculous ways, but there are other times where we're going to have to be patient and know that the presence of Jesus is enough. And the third question that I have for us after reading this is, what do we have to bring to the table? What do we have to bring to the table? You know, Jesus could have created, materialized out of nothing, uh, food for all of the people. He could have done that. Like that was within his power. First he goes and he asks, what do we have? As a collective, what do we have? And it wasn't much. But by his mighty power, Jesus expanded it to make it plenty. And I think there are probably, you know, people who they're like, oh, I got this like half a piece of bread. I got this fish. I don't know if it can really like help anybody. But they were still willing to give up of what they had, even if their means were limited. And by the power of God, by the power of Jesus, it was able to do great and mighty and wonderful good. And so here we stand in our brokenness and in our place of need. And sometimes we can question what we have to give or what we have to offer. And we might say, it's not much. We might look at our lives and say, you know, who who am I to to serve somebody? I've got these issues that I'm wrestling with. And if I could could fix myself up, then maybe I would be in a place where I could could serve others. And Jesus is saying, no, bring bring what you have. Bring what God has has gifted you and, and given you. Because you know what? God can, can make that work. God can expand that for the good of other people. God can expand that for the good of God's glory. We may be limited, but we are still gifted. And God can take that giftedness. God can take those blessings. And in doing so, in doing so, God can change people's hearts. And God can bring glory to his own name.
I love how this kind of broke out in the schedule. We had that kind of awkward moment a few weeks ago where we had a guest speaker and she got to deal with Jesus casting out demons right around Halloween time. I get to deal with people coming together to eat right around uh, Thanksgiving time. And I know that the holidays, I've been talking about this with people in student life, these, these holidays, they can be a time of tension for us, right? because there are things about the holidays that uh, can remind us of the good times in life, but they can also remind us of, of those who we are missing. They can remind us of our, our broken relationships. They can remind us of, of times where we don't have enough, and, and maybe even right now is not enough. And so my, my encouragement for us today is in this time of thanksgiving, can we, like these people who are here, can we pursue Jesus? Can we thirst after Jesus? Can we be honest about God, about what we are thankful for and about what our needs are? And can we be exceedingly generous whenever we have, be it resources, be it food, be it space, be it time, so that people can be brought into the presence of Jesus, soak in that wisdom and revel in his glory. God, we do come to you with hearts of thankfulness that uh, you are a God who does such amazing and powerful and creative things. We thank you, God, that you are a big God, and yet simultaneously, you are an intimate God. We pray, God, that we could see the ways in which you are working in our lives. And we pray, God, that you would use us as tools, as instruments to work in the lives of others. Thank you for being our provider. Thank you for being our constant presence. We love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.